The Bible refers to God's people in a variety of ways. Three times in the New Testament, the new name Christian is used to identify those that are disciples of Christ. You have various metaphors that at times are used in the Bible, like sheep or soldiers or even stones. There are other words that are sometimes used to describe what we are to be, like servants or disciples or citizens. And then there are words that describe us like holy and beloved and faithful. This morning I want to look at a word that you may not often think of when you think about a Christian. And this is a word, though, however, as you're going to see, that is used a number of times in the Word of God, and it is the word refreshing. I want to talk this morning about being refreshing Christians. I want to notice five Bible examples that talk about refreshing Christians, why we need to be refreshing Christians, and then how that we can be refreshing Christians. Sure is good to see each one here this morning. Let me uh, join with Russ in welcoming you if you're a guest and are traveling. We thank you for stopping and being with our church family today. If you're visiting the community, we certainly welcome you and hope you'll come back on other occasions. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to talk to you about being a part of the church family here at West Main. So let's enter into our study this morning with open minds and open hearts and think about how that we can become what God would have us become is we love more and give more and be refreshing Christians. There are at least five Bible examples that I have found in my study that use this expression and talk about God's people being refreshing or having refreshed someone. The first I want to notice is Philemon. In Philemon 7, it says, as Paul writes to Philemon, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. When we read the book of Philemon, we learn that Philemon was a faithful Christian and he evidently was a very wealthy man because it says the church met in Philemon's house. He also, we had slaves, we understand. But he was a very spiritually minded man and it is apparent from this one chapter letter that he had helped Paul in a number of ways. And he identifies Philemon as a person that had refreshed the saints. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word here means to build up. It, it means to make stronger. It means to cool. It is like a cool breeze on a hot day. What was there in Philemon that caused him to be refreshing to the saints there that met with him at his home. Well, verse 5 speaks of his faith and his love and his good works. And so Philemon was a Christian, he was a disciple, that was involved in making a difference in the lives of the other Christians there with whom he worshipped and assembled together. His faith and love and good works had refreshed his brethren. And then we read of a, another example, and that is the Roman saints. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 32, Paul writes, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Paul was looking forward to coming to Rome and to seeing the brethren there. 
And he, one of the reasons was that he knew that he would find this a very refreshing experience. Now, when you look back in the context of this, one thing we know was by their prayers. In verse 30, he requests their prayers. And he knows that his, their prayers are going to help him and lift him up. It is apparent by the context of this as well that he was looking forward to their fellowship. And so as Paul dealt with many trials and many persecutions and many burdens he had in his apostleship, that Paul needed to be refreshed. He needed to be renewed. He needed to be lifted up. And he knew when he came to the Roman saints that they would be refreshing Christians. And then there's a third example that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 18. And it's three unheard of and unheralded men. And Paul says here, they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. It may be when I mention the names of these men and they're recorded in verse 17 that you never heard of them. Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus. Now who's heard of those men? They're not on the lips of most of us. We think of Paul or we think of Peter or other great men of God. But yet Paul mentions specifically these people and he says they have refreshed my spirit and yours. What did they do? Well, he says in the text of this that they supplied that which was lacking. Now Paul doesn't say what it was. I don't know what it was that was lacking. I don't know what it was that the Paul needed or the Corinthian brethren needed. But whatever it was, these three men stood out. So much so that Paul mentioned them by name in this context. And he said, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. What a blessing they had become to be refreshing Christians. And then there's a fourth example of the Corinthian brethren themselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now, what was it that caused the spirit of Titus to be refreshed? Well, Paul had sent him on a mission to the Corinthian church. You remember the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians? He talks about the trouble in the church. There was division in the church. There was exaltation of men. Brethren were taking one another to court. There were, there were marriage problems. And you think Paul found any joy in pointing out those sins and those problems? No, in fact, in the second letter early on, he says it caused him great sorrow and heaviness of heart. That Paul took no joy in talking about those things. And so when they received this letter and they received Titus, that it was a very refreshing thing. And he says, his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. It could have been a dampening spirit. But his heart was cheered. His heart was refreshed. And likewise, so was Paul's. And then here's another fellow. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 16, we read of a Nosphorus. If you're looking for a name for a child here, that might be a good name you'd like to pick out. Onosphorus, you don't hear that much anymore, do you? Well, what did Onosphorus do? Well, Paul said, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Here was a man, again, someone you don't think about, Onosphorus. When have you thought about Onosphorus? 
Not much. But Paul mentions him by name, and he refreshed me, not once, not twice, but often. And one of the things that Paul specifically mentions here that was refreshing to Paul was that Onosphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chain. In other words, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was under Roman guard. We read in another place in Timothy where Paul said that people had left him. They had forsook Paul. And maybe there were some that were either ashamed that Paul was in prison or maybe they were afraid for their own life because if they were associated with Paul, they might be imprisoned as well. Could be either one or both. But that's not true of Onosphorus. Maybe he visited Paul. It would seem possibly to imply that to me at least. That he visited Paul and Paul attended to his needs. He was not ashamed. Paul said he stood by me. He came to me and encouraged me. He did not desert me. He was there for me. And so here we have five examples in the Bible of a term being used of Christians as being refreshing. What a great compliment. And what a great thing for us to think about is we want to be New Testament Christians to be refreshing Christians. Now, why do we need refreshing Christians in 2017? Let me just suggest a few reasons. One is sometimes because of challenges in the church. Some people are amazed when a church has trouble. You know, I'm amazed that they're amazed. We just mentioned the Corinthian church. There was trouble in the Corinthian church. When you read John's letters given by the angel to the seven churches of Asia, there was trouble in most of those churches and things that they had the right to correct. And so you're going to have challenges. You know, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together, I'll be in the midst of them. Well, Brother Schriegel used to say, when two or three are gathered together, you're going to have a problem. Well, that's just about right. And you're going to have challenges at times. And you think about through the years that there's going to be weak members. There's going to be lukewarm members. There's going to be indifferent members. There are going to be ungodly members. Sometimes, unfortunately, there are going to be divisive members. And sometimes we may not agree on certain things. And sometimes Christians may not uh, comport themselves in a way that is consistent with the conduct of a Christian and act in such a way that brings reproach upon the name of Christ. Well, those kinds of things can discourage us. And when we face challenges in the church and trouble in the church, what we need are those that will refresh our spirit. We need refreshing Christians in the time of challenges when we face them in the Lord's church. Not only that, we need refreshing Christians because of times of family problems. I think there's nothing that can bring us down quicker and can disquieten us and discourage us than when there's trouble in our home life. When husbands and wives are not getting along with each other, someone needs to be a refreshing Christian. When children get into trouble, there needs to be a refreshing Christian come along. Once in a while, I've been in a sad situation in a congregation, and a young person goes out, and they get in some bad trouble. And everybody knows about it. It's public knowledge. And unfortunately, you'll sometimes hear someone remark to another person, well, I'll tell you what, my son would never do that. My daughter would never do that. I'll tell you what, you better button your mouth. You better button your mouth. Because you don't know what your son or daughter might do. You better be careful. 
And I'll tell you what that mom or dad needs right then. They don't need your judgmental attitude. They don't need your censure. They need your encouragement. They need a refreshing Christian to come alongside them and put their arm around them and encourage them and to pray with them and to let them know that they are there for them. We need to be refreshing Christians when there are problems that we face in our homes. And then we need refreshing Christians in the time of physical illness. You know, health problems can be very discouraging for us. When we're sick or maybe we're fighting some kind of a chronic illness or maybe we're fighting something that very well may bring about our early demise. And we know what to say to be, able to be an encouragement to them. I mentioned one time about a lady that wasn't too good with this. She didn't have the gift of mercy. And this fellow had been out of church for a long time. And she was in a little small town. She walked by and saw him on the front porch. She said, well, I sure have missed you. He said, well, don't you know I've been real sick? She said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, what did you have? And he told her, he said, you know, my, my uncle had the same thing and he died. And he said, well, I'm feeling a lot better. Say, well, that's what happened to my uncle. He started feeling better, and then all of a sudden he died. Well, I mean, she didn't know how to be a refreshing Christian. She didn't know how to be, be an encouragement. Don't, don't say something like that. Look for a way to come alongside someone and to help them through this and, and to send them a, a card of encouragement or give them a refreshing word. We need refreshing Christians because of the enemy of death that can come and take our loved ones. There's a song that talks about this and says that death leaves our home so lonely and drear. You know, death is an emotional time even for Christians. And it's a time that drains our spirits. You know, when I was a, a young guy starting out preaching and someone would tell me that their mother would, had died. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. How old was she? Well, she was 85. And I thought, well, my goodness, she's 85 years old. It's time to die. You know, and, you know, I mean, I was just a young guy, and I didn't quite understand that. And my mother was probably only 40-something at the time. And you just accept that. I mean, she's going to die. She's 85, right? Well, when my mom passed at 84, I understood that. See, I, I, I wouldn't mind I had her to 94. See? And so we, we, we need to empathize and sympathize with people in the time. That it didn't make a difference if your mom is 94 and she goes, she's your mother. You're going to miss her. And death is coming even for the Christian. We may sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, but we do sorrow. And it leaves our home empty and drear. We need refreshing Christians to be there in a time of death. And then we need refreshing Christians because of sin. Sin can bring us down. Sin is a burden. Sin causes mourning and heartache and, and problems. Sin, sin brings guilt. And, and, and all of us are susceptible to the wiles of the devil, to Satan's schemes as he tries to manipulate us and, and to get into our hearts and to, and to tempt us. And we need to be understanding of those that fall into the snare of the devil. And we need refreshing Christians to help brothers and sisters in times like that. Well, 
Let's take the rest of our time this morning and talk about how specifically we can do that. How can I be a refreshing Christian? I'm going to mention four things. First, how about giving a cup of cold water? Now, Mark 9.41 literally says this. Jesus said, For whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink of my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But I think there, there is a bigger point to be made there. Yes, literally a cup of cold water, but isn't Jesus there talking about the gift of little things? And that little things indeed mean a lot. I appreciate Stephen leading the song before I got In fact, a couple of the songs this morning, Oh, the Things That You Can Do and Room in the Kingdom, both of those spoke of little things that you and I can do to make a difference in the lives of people. It was Edmund Burke that said, Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing only because he could do a little. And we make that mistake, don't we? That we think, well, I can't do much. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, if I had a million dollars, oh, here's what I'd do. And someone said, well, brother, until you get the million dollars, what are you doing with the buck and a quarter you got? Now, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? And so don't wait to some grandiose thing that you can do if you had a lot of money or you know some Christians talk about someday they're going to do some great thing for God well what about today or there are husbands who are planning a big expensive trip or a gift for their wives as soon as they can afford it well you know what maybe you ought to spend a couple bucks just on a single rose and give it to her today and not wait, you can get that big expensive gift. Or their fathers are going to, going to spend more time with, with their kids when things aren't so busy. Well, maybe you ought to put on the brakes and slow down just a little bit. If it's only five or ten minutes to go out and play catch with your son. Or to spend a little time with your daughter. When I was a kid growing up, my dad loved country music. And he kept the 53 Chevrolet that he drove to work on the country music station. It's kind of ironic. When I was a kid, I didn't like hearing the country music because Elvis was coming into vogue and, and all of this other rock music. And that's what I like to hear. And so I hated that. And then I became my father later on that I started liking country music when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, for all things. But I do remember there was an old, old song back in the 50s and it was entitled, Little Things Mean a Lot. And I got to thinking about that one day, and I looked it up, and it was by a, a very popular, at that time, female artist named Kitty Kalin, and it was actually a number one song. And it's entitled, Little Things Mean a Lot, and part of the lyrics go like this. Blow me a kiss across the room. Say I look nice when I'm not. Touch my hair as you pass my chair. Little things mean a lot. Give me your arm as we cross the street. Call me at six on the dot. A line a day when you're far away. Little things mean a lot. Give me your hand when I've lost the way. Give me your shoulder to cry on. Whether the day is bright or gray, give me your heart to rely on. Send me the warmth of a secret smile to show me you haven't forgot. For always and ever and now and forever, little things mean a lot. Now, Young people, I know that song may sound kind of sappy. 
in our day and age. But you know what? It contains a great truth and actually some pretty good advice. Don't dismiss the day of small things. A simple deed of kindness can lift the spirit of another, give hope, and remind someone else that there's a fellow brother that really cares. Look for the little things that you can do to be a refreshing Christian. Secondly, offer an encouraging word. That's something, if we'll work at it a little bit, we can learn to offer an encouraging word. The wise man in several places in the book of Proverbs speaks of being an encouragement through our words to other people. For instance, Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Or how about Proverbs 12 and verse 25? Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. How about offering a good word, an encouraging word, a refreshing word, a word that would lift up another? How about those, to your wife, those three little words that all women love to hear? Let's eat out. <laughs> I said that to my wife the other day. She said, I'll take you up on that. I know there's those three words, I love you. I, yeah, those are good words too. You don't want to be like the fellow that his wife complained that he never said, I love you anymore. He said, listen, the day we got married, I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. Well, that's no good, guys. That's, that's no good. And so learn to offer an encouraging word or to say to someone, I'm sorry and really mean it. Or to say, I care. Or to say, let me help. Or to say, it's really good to see you. Or say, how, how are you feeling? Now, we, we say as a means of greeting someone, how you doing? And a lot of times we say that so blindly. And sometimes I'm interested, because uh, I know someone's had a problem. I say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing it. No, I'm really being, how are you doing really? Show that you care about what other people are going to offer and encouraging words. Words can refresh us. Words can lift us. Words can inspire us. Words can invigorate us. They can ennoble us. Words can give us hope again. You know, sometimes it's your tone. I got a problem with that sometimes. I admit it. My wife will say, your tone. <laughs> and she's right. I came across this, honey. You'll, you'll like these little words here. I don't know. I don't think it's written by Norma Jean. Let's see. It's not. I think it's by Anonymous, whoever he is. He's written a lot. But it's entitled, The Tone of Your Voice. And the first lines of this go like this. It's not so much what you say as the manner in which you say it. It's not so much the language you use as the tone in which you convey it. Offer an encouraging word. And in doing that, you can be a refreshing Christian. How to be a refreshing Christian? Maybe being a good example. 
The Bible is written to encourage us with a good examples of faithful people in days of old. In fact, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul said everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we can read about these great men and women of God. The, the hall of fame of the faithful in Hebrews 11. That, that by faith served God and believed God and did what God said. They become a great cloud of witnesses that encourage us to keep on going, to keep on running, to keep on serving. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts and known and read by everybody. And so as we think about the influence we have and the example we have, it makes an impact that can be an encouragement to others. I'm going to repeat the story. I should have saved it for the sermon, I guess. But in the Bible class, I told a story about Mark Broyles, the gospel preacher I was with, with Wednesday night in Bolverde. And he became a Christian because of the influence of Ralph Walker and his mom and dad. Just the way they lived. The kind of home life they had. Their example became a great influence. I think it was Edgar Guest that maybe is given credit for this. There's a most beautiful story given to man. It was written long ago by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Christ and his mission below. But you write a gospel, a chapter a day, by your deeds, whether faithless or true, when others read it, and they will think, is this the gospel according to you? It's a wonderful story, the gospel of love, as it shines with Christ's life divine. And all that is truth may be told again in the story of your life and mine. You are writing each day a letter to all, taking care that the writing is true. It's the only gospel some people may read. The gospel according to you. What kind of book are you writing? How to be a refreshing Christian? Have an enthusiastic spirit. Have an enthusiastic spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. You know, enthusiasm is contagious. Our zeal for the Lord, and this is the word that is most often used, the most English translation, is to be zealous of good works, Titus 2.14. Our zeal, our excitement, our enthusiasm for the things of God can spur others on to make a difference. Morris Norman, that's a gospel preacher, wrote a little article years ago about enthusiasm and he said one of the greatest problems among God's people is a lack of this positive zeal. It causes a low state of spirituality. It is, its lack is manifest by the non-singer, the clock watcher, and the long-faced complainer. Those who do not have enthusiasm are usually non-active. No program will work. It is inconvenient, time-consuming, and they are against it. Norman goes on to write, To kill a church, wasn't, one doesn't have to shoot the preacher burn the building down or get rid of the elders or destroy the Bibles. 
All that needs to be done is just be indifferent to the purposes of God and the church will die a natural death. It is not as much as the thunderous artillery of error nor the fiery rockets of false doctrine that overcome a church. This will do it when they're not zealous for the truth. But more so, it is to allow the slow, grinding, pulverizing force of indifference among its members. That, Brother Norman says, will kill a church. And I think he's right. How to be a refreshing Christian. Well, those are four ways. Give a cup of cold water, just some small thing that you may be able to do. Offer an encouraging word to someone that needs it, to be the right kind of an example, and then to have an enthusiastic spirit for the things of God. As I was studying this lesson, I came across a fellow here by the name of Stephen Hopper. And he was using one of the examples, Onosporus, which you notice I kind of like that name, Onosporus, okay? And he was using that example, and he talked about something that he called the ministry of refreshment. I thought, well, that's what I'm preaching on today. So I'll just share a couple of things as we close from that. He says, have you noticed that often it is the timing of a thoughtful gesture rather than its scope that makes the difference. And then he says this, For a lonesome service man or woman, that refreshing lift could be a timely letter or card. For a frazzled couple with young children, it could be the offer to babysit so they can go out for an evening or a weekend getaway. For a discouraged Christian worker, it could be a weekend at a conference or a retreat. For an elderly person, a or shut in, a call or a card or a visit could be the highlight of their week. For a student feeling pressured and homesick, it might be an offer to go out to lunch or to help study for an exam. The deacons were like this. For a deacon <laughs> that's trying to find someone to teach a class and can't seem to find anyone to help, it could be the offer to fill wherever you're needed the most. And then Hopper says this, the ministry of refreshment involves genuine concern, willingness to take risks, and persistence in service. It requires being alert to the needs of others and seeking to provide relief from the pressures that burden them. I like that, the ministry of refreshment. I don't guess we need to start an official program here called the ministry of refreshment. We can just start today, can't we? And we can all join that group. And be a part of the ministry of refreshment. How about it? How about being a refreshing Christian? Today, tomorrow, and every day. May God bless us to that end. Well, you sure have listened good this morning. Thank you for your kind attention. I hope the lesson has been refreshing and encouraging and helpful as we think about being more what God would have us to be. We close this morning, we sing a song that Stephen has chosen to encourage you to come to Christ. If you're a Christian that has wandered away and become indifferent, we would love to be a refreshing Christian to you and welcome you back into right relationship with God and lift you before the throne of God in prayer. If you're not a Christian, would you through faith, repentance, and baptism have your sins washed away to become a new man or woman in Jesus to take the hand of the Savior?
and join the ranks of people that want to refresh you and encourage you and lift you up and walk with you shoulder to shoulder on the highway that will one day get us to heaven. If we can serve you, if we can help you, would you come as we stand and sing?